Now I've observed a number of families in this fellowship who are caring or have cared for aging parents. Some were able to do it exclusively in their home. Others were able to utilize a fine care facility, but they were actively involved. But you were a testimony. You were a testimony to a watching world by the way you did it. And some of you were directly a testimony to those loving parents by showing them the love of Christ. And even in those last years, leading them to the Savior. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. And this week, he's been presenting a message entitled, Caring for Members in God's Church, part of his study from the book of 1 Timothy. Chapter 5 of 1 Timothy addresses the issue of widows in the church and gives guidelines for how these women should be cared for. But the passage also clearly delineates certain qualifications these women must have in order to receive support from the church. Let's rejoin Pastor Carl now as he looks at another qualification, that the widow has shown hospitality. Another elucidation of good works comes in the second phrase that follows, if she has shown hospitality to strangers. Now, hospitality is a theme that runs all the way through the New Testament, and it was critical to the health of the early church. Many believers were cut off from their families for having received Jesus as Lord, and they would need hospitality until they could get on their feet. In addition, there were many evangelists, missionaries, traveling pastors and teachers who would need a place to stay when they came to your town. Inns were few and costly and notoriously immoral. And so it was critical that God's servants show hospitality as we do need today. And many of God's unknown saints, people who you've never heard of, have done a tremendous service to the kingdom of God by opening their homes. And to this day, the lodging of guests largely falls on the lady. She's the one who has to make sure typically the house is clean, the bathroom is straight, the meals are well prepared, though it's not alone her responsibility, for God spells out as a qualification of an elder that he too is to be hospitable. And when God speaks of a woman here who's hospitable, he says hospitable to strangers, He's not talking about you just showing care and love for those people you know in the church, but for those who you don't know. Remember what our Lord said in Luke 12? And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and repayment come to you. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. He's talking about people who cannot pay you back because they don't have the means to do it. Look, if you're opening your home just to get an invitation back, it's all for the wrong reason. But he said, if you will do it his way, you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Look, there may not be much payoff in this life other than scuffed walls, scratched floors, and sometimes ungrateful saints. But when you get to heaven, God will reward you. Now, another description of these good works that he describes this widow with is that she is one who has washed the saints' feet. 
Now, the phrase, washing the saints' feet, had its origins, as you know, from John chapter 13, when our Lord um, was in that situation, and he washed the feet of his disciples. If you remember there in the upper room at the Last Supper, those guys, Luke tells us, was having, were having a discussion on who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And right in the middle of their discussion, we learn that Jesus rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself about. And I'm sure as he began to remove the sand and the soil from their feet, that place must have been dead silent. The silence of embarrassment and shame. But our Lord teaches, he, takes the, he seizes the opportunity to teach them something about servanthood, a lesson that they will never, ever, ever forget. Now, most of you know that in ancient Palestine, when you came to a friend's house, you bathed first, and on the way, if the streets were dry, your feet would be covered in dust. If the streets were wet, they would be covered in liquid mud. And when you got to that home, typically, the host or sometimes a servant would get down and they would wash your feet. And so Jesus does what they should have done. And he says to them in verse 12 of John 13, And when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. Those are terms you used to describe me. For he was the teacher of teachers. And he was the Lord of lords and king of kings. He's the one who made them, who created them. You call me teacher and Lord. You're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash my feet. Now that is what you might expect him to say, but that's not what he says. If I, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet... You ought to wash one another's feet. Look, if the Lord Jesus were physically present here today, he needed his feet washed. He needed some act of service by his people. We'd line all the way up to Walmart to do it. That's easy. Who doesn't want to wash the feet of someone who's like our Lord? But you see, the real mark of your spirituality is to wash the feet of those who are unlike our Lord. And it's one of the tests that Paul requires of widows. If she is to be considered for the church's help, she is to be a servant. She is to wash the feet of the saints. She has a servant's heart. And because she cared for the members of the church, the church is to care for her. Then he says, among other things, she has assisted those in distress. Look at verse 10. Having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress. Now, this assistance might have expressed itself in a number of different ways. It might include caring for the needy, feeding the hungry, Nursing back to health the sick, encouraging those who have lost a loved one in many other ways. And every pastor is so grateful for women in the church that very practically care for the spiritual and physical needs of others in that church. And these were widows that he's describing to be put on the list who are to be cared for by the church because they met the material and physical needs of certain saints. And so Paul gives a summary statement here. She has devoted herself to every good work. Those widows who are truly alone, those widows who are spiritually alive, those who can be put on the list must meet these qualifications. At least 60, 
married once, having the reputation for good works, and then he cites four examples as a litmus test. And just so we don't mess up, just so we don't miss his point, he goes further in verse 11 to tell us those who are not qualified but refuse to put younger widows in the list for when they feel sensual distress and disregard of Christ, they want to get married. Now, in verses 11 to 13, Paul gives three reasons for refusing younger widows to be considered for the church's help. First, because they'll grow restless, because in their youth, they want to remarry. Unlike the older women, whose active sexual lives, for the most part, were behind them in terms of control, the younger woman, so that she would not burn with passion, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, as he also describes men, they would need to have those normal sexual desires met in a marriage relationship. So don't put a younger woman on the list. Second, you don't want to ask them to make a promise that they can't keep. He says in verse 12, thus incurring condemnation because they set aside their previous pledge. Now you can only assume from this verse that these widows who were put on the list made a commitment, they made a pledge, they made a vow never to be married again, to be single from 60 and beyond. They had made that commitment that they might give themselves, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, to the undistracted devotion to the work of the Lord. Now, please understand, this is not biblical warrant for monastic orders or for some vow of celibacy. This is far different. These are women who had already been married for some years. But in the physical realm, they're past the age of having to be married and being able to bear children. And by making a commitment that they cannot keep, they break a vow. You know, God takes your word seriously. When you say something, when you promise something to God, he takes you at his word, at your word. Remember what he said in Deuteronomy? He says, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it will be sin to you. Because they would break their word and not be able to keep that vow, God would discipline them. Condemnation would come, judgment. The old King James says damnation. That's a little confusing in our day because we associate that word with someone going to hell. He's not talking about that. Judgment or condemnation would be a better translation in the 21st century of this Greek word krema. He's talking about the discipline of God because you didn't keep your word. And the third reason he gives why young widows should not be considered for enrollment is because if they are young and supported by the church, you encourage idleness. Audrey's grandmother used to say, as I'm sure many of your grandmothers used to say, Idols, idle hands are the devil's workshop. And that's precisely what Paul says in verse 13. Look at it. And at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busy busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. That's the tendency of an idle woman who's got nothing to do. And for that matter, that's the tendency of an idle man who has nothing to do. But he's not addressing men in this context. Too much time on your hand with nothing to do is dangerous for anyone. And certainly for the widow, it invites trouble. So Paul instead says in verse 14, therefore I want younger widows to get married. 
Bear children. Keep house. Oh, that's old-fashioned, Paul. Keep house and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. God's first mandate to our first parents was be fruitful and multiply. And the normal result of a marriage is a family. And these today who refuse not to have children because of the difficult times we live in need to go back and remember the difficult times in which the early church lived in. Look, if Christians will not have children, who will? I'll tell you who are having them. It's the Muslims. They picked up on this principle. They're having them left and right in order to instigate their children with a false demonic philosophy of God. We who have the truth are to have children. That's what the Word of God says. But not just have them to bring them up. And you can't do that if you don't keep house, as Paul will say to Titus, if you're not a worker at home. And thus you give the enemy an occasion for reproach. This is sure as when you do it God's way, when you have children and bring them up in the Lord, you will not be able to give the enemy, that is the devil himself, an opportunity to reproach, to discredit your testimony. Now this word occasion is actually a technical military term in the first century that meant a base of operations. And you think about it. A Christian wife who is not doing her job by raising children and being at home and caring for them, they give so often, or their husband does, the devil a beachhead for his operations, and the results are absolutely tragic. I mean, how many marriages do you know? He wants a new boat and more cars, and he's got her out there working, and she works hard all day. She comes home at night. She's got two, three little ones. She's got to care for them. God's put that nurturing instinct in her heart. It's the way he created a woman and thank God for it. So I know husbands say, well, I'll help with the meal. Look, she's going to naturally gravitate towards that. She's going to clean the laundry. She's going to take care of the house. She's going to cook the meals. She's going to be exhausted. You keep on that level long enough, you know what happens? The relationship begins to break down. Anger begins to rise up. There's a wall between husband and wife. She goes to work. She's at her best. He never sees her, that fellow at work, in her curlers or bed slippers. He sees her at her best. He communicates with her. He doesn't have to put up with the pressures of the home. He's kind. He's loving. Before you know it, there's adultery. You have given the enemy an occasion for reproach. And so he says in verse 14, For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. When you do this, ladies, you're not following your Lord God. You are in that time following the devil because he is the prince of the power of the air, the one who manufactured this philosophy of life and family that he is selling our culture, and you're following not God's dictates but the devil's. And so he summarizes his counsel again. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, let her assist them and let not the church be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Paul specified that even if a believing woman who possessed the means, she bore the same responsibilities for widows in her family as would a man in similar circumstances. And this would relieve the congregation of the responsibility that they might help those who are widows indeed and widows in need. Now, there will always be more needs than a church can meet. And so God has given us some specific guidelines here. 
Hey, this is a rich passage of Scripture. Let me just say parenthetically here. I happen to believe in the exposition of entire books of the Bible. And I feel like it is greatly lacking in our day. Pastors who are trying to be cute and to be able to relate to the culture, only preaching these topical, felt-need kind of sermons, are missing the opportunity and privilege and blessing and responsibility of teaching the whole counsel of God's Word. Look, if I preach topically, I probably never would preach this passage. Number one, I'm not a widow. I don't have this burning need to preach this. And I thought about it this week. I've been a Christian for over 28 years, and I cannot remember a single sermon ever in my whole life when I heard a sermon about widows. And we would have missed God's rich truth. And when I came to this text years ago, I was forced to ask, what does it mean and what applications does it have on my life and on those whom I shepherd? Which would bring us to our final point, some timeless applications to remember. Let me give you three applications in closing. First, caring for one's dependent parents is an important part of your testimony. Caring for your dependent parents, it's an important part of your testimony. Now, I've observed a number of families in this fellowship who are caring or have cared for aging parents. Some were able to do it exclusively in their home. Others were able to utilize a fine care facility, but they were actively involved. But you were a testimony. You were a testimony to a watching world by the way you did it. And some of you were directly a testimony to those loving parents by showing them the love of Christ. And even in those last years, leading them to the Savior. You proved your love for them and you proved your love for God by the way you cared for them. And because you honored them in that way, God gives you a promise in Ephesians 6 that your life will be well and that your life will be long on this earth. So it's important for your testimony. Secondly, understand the church is not expected to support everyone in need. We're not expected to support everyone in need. Now, I didn't comment much on it because we're running out of time. But Paul teaches us here in verse 16 that if there are family members there to take up the slack so that it, the church won't have to. And let not the church be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. You see, when you do something, be it as an individual or a church that you're not supposed to do, it is a burden. You say, well, I'm a widow, and I've got someone caring for me. I don't want to be a burden. If you've got a believer caring for him, understand, God's commandments are not burdensome. When they're supposed to do it, it's a delight. But the church is to be free to assist those who are really in need. And I think we could add from Paul's teaching in 2 Thessalonians that it's not only the relative's responsibility, but if a person can help him or herself, because Paul says, if a man shall not work, neither shall he eat. He's not talking about those who can't work, but those who won't work. If someone is able to find employment or support themselves, then they ought to do so. But the church must not be burdened unnecessarily. A local church must help those who are in real need. 
that we might not be exploited. Look, just to give a handout or free lunch to anyone who asks is to do the church a great disservice. It's to cheapen our ministry to the world and it's to dishonor our God. The church is to take on its responsibility, but neither is it to encourage irresponsibility in people's lives. A third application. When we help people, and we might add here, in whatever capacity, widows or whoever, when we help people, we must do it in a way that does not destroy their self-respect. Now, when Paul teaches on this subject of destitute widows, he does not merely speak about their physical relief, and so they're put on a list. No, he goes beyond that in this chapter because they need more than that. They need not only the help, but they also need the dignity of being on this honor roll because there are people who serve the church. They are given relief in such a way so as not to destroy their self-respect. A timeless principle, by the way, that I think transcends all of life. There's a gentleman in our church who I recently had the opportunity to lead to Christ. He's been a drug addict on crack cocaine, hooked on alcohol for over a decade, long time. Right now he's at a Christian rehab center. But before he could go, he had to pay a court bill for $220 for a DUI. And the court would not release him to go to this treatment center unless he paid the bill. And quite honestly, this guy didn't have a dime to his name. Now, I could have just given him the money, but I didn't do that. I gave him the opportunity to work for it. Years ago, it was just me. I was the only staff member, and I was totally in charge of the benevolence ministry. And whenever I was placed in a situation where I had to give some of your hard-earned money to someone in a legitimate need, I didn't typically just give it to them. I made them work for it because I did not want to destroy their self-respect. And that is precisely what Paul is doing here. Not only were the widows to be honored, they were to be enrolled for a very important service. It is true that the destitute widow, the widow indeed was to be given relief. But those who were able to render service were to be given the chance to do so. So ideally, a widow who is given relief should also be given the opportunity to to serve, to give as well as to receive. I want to tell you, if the relief organizations in our country, in our own government, got a hold of this principle, it would radically change the way we would help people. It's a very important biblical principle that's taught here in 1 Timothy chapter 5. True Christian compassion never demoralizes people. As we solve problems, we certainly do not want to create them. I've given a lot of thought to these verses in the last few weeks. And I've thought about those widows in our church. And... As best I could calculate, we have just under 20 widows in this young congregation. But as far as I know, there are no widows indeed. And we've got some fine, fine, godly widows who are serving the Lord God in this fellowship. But I recognize that while we may not have any widows indeed right now, it may change in the next decade. And we need to make sure as a church that we are prepared to do this scriptural injunction when it comes to God's people, when it comes to this family, that we meet their needs. I want to tell you, 
If you're a widow here, if you're anyone here today, and you don't have Christ, you have a far greater need. Look, you could care for your widowed parents, and if you don't give them the gospel, you may provide intellectually, socially, physically, but when they die, they will drop into the eternal liquid lake of fire forever. You have a far greater need. Your greatest need ever in this life will be to embrace Christ. For what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and in the end you forfeit your soul? Let's stand together for prayer. Now, our Father, I thank you today for the opportunity to preach your word. God, I thank you for your word which is alive, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I thank you that you have not left us like a ship drifting out in the ocean, but you've given us a rudder in which to stare a course, and it's your holy, inspired word. Thank you for your counsel to us who know Christ as Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray today for someone who's never met the living God. I pray that you help them to know that your son met the greatest need of their life, that in his own body on the cross he bore all of their sin and all of their judgment for every wicked thing they've done or might do. He, in his own body, bore your sin. He was dead on a cross, buried in a grave, and raised from the dead. That's the gospel. That's God's power to save you. And because he did what he did, you can call upon him today and he will welcome you. Christ Jesus will receive sinful men. He came to die for the helpless for those who will acknowledge that they cannot save themselves. And I wonder today if the trumpet of God were to sound, would you go, would he take you? you say, I hope he would, Pastor. Friend, that's not good enough. You have to know. You must believe God's word because without faith you'll never please him. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus, not yourself and your own human merit. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Call upon his name and he'll save you today. You say, well, maybe tomorrow, Pastor, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. To persist until tomorrow, your heart will be a little bit harder tomorrow. And it'll be a little bit harder to repent tomorrow with that hard heart than it is right now. Would you right now say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Lord Jesus, save even me. Would you believe his gospel now, Father, as I've been speaking, your Holy Spirit has been speaking. And maybe there are people here today who need to pick up the phone and call their parents and just honor them with a phone call. Maybe, Father, there are others who, who need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe there are some whose parents are gone and they did not carry out their God-given responsibility and they need to confess that sin to you and receive your cleansing. Father, if nobody else wants to obey you, let this fellowship of believers be true to your word. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. To listen again to today's message, part one of caring for members in God's church, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. 
You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program 1TM11. And when you visit us, be sure to drop us a note on our guest book and tell your friends about the teaching on Search the Scriptures. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you'd like more information about becoming a foundation partner of this ministry, call us at 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy begins part two of his message, Caring for Members in God's Church. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.